Buster Moody. I'm the artist on Task Force Rad Squad, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> That was good, you bastitch. How many times? Are we gonna, how many times I, are we going to say that this episode? You bastitch. Quite a few. Uh, I, I was I was toying with the idea of, of saying something else, but I I figured might as well might as yeah. well make it all proper and junk. Yeah, I don't think Fetal's Giz would have echoed very nicely. No. <laughs> no. Stay with the I, tried I, and true for the intro. Then you could you can mix it up during the episode. Well, I was planning on on it during our, our introduction. Nice. We don't have many standards, but I think that's one of them. It's not good to deviate from the things that work. There's some things that are just, yeah, it just deviate it, like it a is what it is. And it's just, Boy. you know, it's it, it could be a free for all after the regulars. Are yeah, all, all, yeah. All you set them place. up, and then you know, then you can knock them down later. Spike them. Right. Spike the punch. Mm-hmm. With peepee. Duty. It, it's amazing how much influence Hollywood Nights had on me as a kid. And it wasn't even a kid. I think it was a teen when I saw it. Um, the film Hollywood Nights? Mm-hmm. No? Yeah. What? Um, Hollywood Nights. Tony Danza? Never saw Mich- okay. Hollywood Shuffle, though. No, <laughs> no you, you need to see Hollywood Nights. Harlem Nights, love it. Mm-hmm. Midnight Madness. Yeah. Midnight Madness. We yes. can stop this right now. Hey, everybody! It's a oh. it's eleven o'clock comics episode six hundred and twenty nine. Damn. Woot! And I'm Vince B. Feels giz. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. There you go. <laughs> Slipped it yes, in it, under the wire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And I am, of course, a cosmic dolphin. Aww. Aww. That is your slice of the book, isn't it? it? The only way it could have been better is if they were space narwhals. Oh, if they were cosmic whales, we'd be, the book would have been a 10 out of 10. Yeah, well, it is, but okay. Yeah. But no, you're not a space dolphin. You're Jason Wood, everybody. Although you are sleek and very smooth like one. You're Jason mm, Wood. I am very smooth, not a hairy person at all. It's true. I wish. I Just wish. a little soft around the, uh, the twig and berries. That's about yeah, it. Mm, boy. Well, it is a Lobo well, episode. I'm not telling you anything you haven't seen. It's true. Uh, it is a Lobo episode, so all bets are off because this is our book of the month for September yes. 2019. It is Lobo by Keith Giffen and Alan Grant, Volume 1, as voted upon, yes, yes, by our beautiful patrons. Here's, Happy birthday to me. Yes, here is the, uh, the mechanics of the situation, in case you don't know. In case you've been, you know, somewhere else for a couple of, a bunch of months. What we do is we have this Patreon thing, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, one, one, no apostrophe. And once a month, we will submit a list of 11 titles to our patrons. And they make with the clicky and they find the one they want to hear us go on and on and on and on about. And that's the one that wins. And this month, Lobo won. Dap, do we have a list of what the contenders or? We do have a list. Uh, Lobo won just barely, but it won, I'm happy to say, uh, with 26% of the votes. And so in alphabetical order, not in um, runners-up. But 
Black Panther by Christopher Priest, the complete collection, volume one. That actually was second place with 25% of the votes. Then you had uh, Crisis on Multiple Earths, volume six. Fantastic Four Visionaries, John Byrne, volume one. Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Hard Traveling Heroes. Grendel, Devil's Legacy. New Teen Titans, volume one. The Punisher, Welcome Back, Frank. Sparring with Gil Kane, Debating the History and Aesthetics of Comics. Spider-Man, Death of the Stacys, and Star Trek Classics Volume 5, Who Killed Captain Kirk? Nice. I always get the douche chill when I see you put A Crisis on Multiple Earths book on the... Why? (laughs) Because do you know how much work it would be to bring a Multiple Earths book to the table for a book of the month? It would be a lot of work. No, no, no. Yeah. Yes, okay, maybe, maybe. But do you know why I picked... Volume six. I don't know. Okay. Well, the reason I went with volume six, because that is the last volume in the multiple Earths series from DC is, um, and for anybody who doesn't know, Crisis on Multiple Earths is, is uh, they're collections of the annual Justice League of America story that... I'm not going to call it a crossover, but it's the Justice Society of America guest starred in the Justice League of America comic. So for a couple of issues that year, there was a big crossover. The two Earths met, however, the heroes got together and took on whoever, whatever. The sixth volume is the last one. It is the um, so it's not as it's 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 probably not as text heavy as the early, early stuff. Um but the the last volume, the only time the crisis on multiple Earth story crossed over or wasn't contained in the Justice League of America comic was when it crossed over into a couple of issues of All-Star Squadron, where All-Star Squadron joined in on the fun with Justice Society of America and the Justice League of America. Um, and that included the crime syndicate. Unfortunately... Um, for Vince, that that story also included Perdigaton, but you had, um, I figured that one was going to be a little bit more, since it was the last volume, it was the 80s, it wasn't as, um, it, and, and you had the Joe Kubert covers on the uh, All-Star Squadron issues, but yeah, sure. it, um, yeah, I just think, I thought that it would have been a little, even though there's Roy Thomas there, it probably wouldn't have been as painful as as the early stuff from the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I wouldn't call it painful. I just... You're, as, you're talking yeah, a no, lot but, of research. I mean, a lot. I mean, there's things that you just can't utter without explaining why they're important, right? Especially when you got two Earths going on, and it's th- there's significant events that preceded these crossovers, right? So you yeah. got you got to go into that. You can't just leave well, the, the listener... Th- to some degree, well, yeah, what does we, that would, mean? we would come in with we would come in with our baggage, but for a lot of it, because of the way these stories were told, everything happened within those pages. So you didn't need to necessarily know that. Yeah, okay, so, so they met every year, but you didn't need to know particularly that um, it's not like it continued from one year to the next, and there was some super meta ongoing it, w- it wasn't a tom king style plot line going on for 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 18 years it was right. just you know this is this is what's happening this month and um and you yeah, know i mean i'm not yes we would absolutely 
go into it because I already know that I would say that, you know, listen, this was, this was earth Two. earth Two. Um, you know, if you read the Grant Morrison story, then, you know, yeah, earth two for you is the evil versions of the just, you know, whereas here they were actually on earth three was the crime syndicate and earth right. two was the golden age. You know, yeah, you, we would probably, um, go off into a few different tangents. This tonight uh, much more straightforward. Yes, you are going to hear us talk about things that happened after this book, probably, and things that happened before this book. But for the most part, everything we're going to talk about is contained within these two covers. Right, right. And I can't see going real deep on this stuff. I mean, I love it. But, you know, there's aside from maybe a, a two-minute recantation the, the, the of con, the plot. The con issue... I think we could probably go go deep in it, and and it's timely with with next week. But sure. that's probably the one that we would go the heaviest on. Right, right. Um, what the heck are we drinking? That's a great question, isn't it? It really is, Jason. Well, that's what yeah, I am drinking ice cold pure leaf real brewed tea, and it's the unsweetened black tea version because there's a lot of different pure leaf teas out there. There are. I just have a question, mm-hmm. and, and and I'm not leaning on you at all, but it's, I'm just curious, right? Go ahead. Is is the temple of the body, Jason? Is it going to be defiled after the con? I mean, I'm not worried during the con. Sure. I, I know you're going to defile it during the con, but is this like an extended thing? Is this going to go on in perpetuity? <laughs> you're asking strange questions. Um, if eating and drinking more responsibly, do I plan on continuing with that? Yes, I can plan on, plan on continuing with that. Hmm. Why does that ruin me? Does that make no? It, it, it doesn't I, ruin me, but it's just like the the uh, slack when when you said the little uh, interaction you had with your wife. Yeah, in in, in I regard, don't food, drink beer. I don't drink beer and I don't eat food. Like the Jason of right now doesn't drink beer or eat food. But I'm I'm wondering if the Jason of now is is now the Jason of of ever. I just want to know. We shall see. I yeah. I, I mean, I'm not hoping either way. I just I, I thought I kind of liked the the Jason of of old. You know, I liked my him. Be- my belts didn't though. Well, I know, but you weren't fat. I was too. You Stop were it. not. I, I was too. You man. always look sexy in my eyes. But well, anyway, I appreciate that. But I was I was. Embarrassed to look at myself in photos. That's weird. Okay, I am drinking, and this it's wrong to be drinking this for a Lobo-themed episode. I know, I get it, and I know what you're going to say, white girl. I'm drinking <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts pumpkin spice coffee. Are you ever going to drink again, or you, your body's a temple? Is that- well, I will drink as soon as I get some in the house. My body is not a temple. My <laughs> body's a friggin' drive through <laughs> <laughs> it's a brew through yeah uh well because it is not a lobo because it is a lobo episode it is definitely not a night uh for the grape and um i actually started earlier because i had a manhattan knowing i wasn't going to have wine so um sticking with the where'd you have that manhattan at oh you, know, you, you have to ask it's 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 a new place. Um, He's got a tab. Haven't haven't been there before. Now it's uh I it, listen. My my wife wanted her salad, and she loves the salad this place makes. So I just I 
suffered through it and and walked over to to the quiet man and ordered our dinner and while i waited for dinner i um sipped on a very very enjoyable manhattan and um and now i am sipping on some wonderful buffalo trace kentucky straight bourbon whiskey and i have a nice bottle of um poland spring after that once uh, when i feel like i've had my fill but uh for lobo i figured we'll do um we'll do bourbon cool that's good one of us has to wave the flag Tis true. Yeah. But speaking of drinking. Ooh, oh, okay. This time we were for, as I think our listeners realize we're recording this on Thursday night, which means one week from now, we will be wrapping up our first day of New York comic con at the Javits center. Hope to see many of you there, but one day after that. So the day that most people are listening to this episode, which is going to be Friday, a week from then, on the second day of the con, we will have our official, like a whistle, EOC NYCC get together. And we have secured a little spot at a place called the Reunion Surf Bar. Sweet. Which you can find at uh, www.reunionbar.com. The festivities start around 8 o'clock. Uh, it's near the Javits. It is for those that uh, don't feel like Googling. It is at uh, 357 West 44th Street, which is the corner of 44th and 9th, so very close to the Javits. Uh, we'll be there. A bunch of people have already, you know, a bunch of the posse have already said they'll they'll be there with bells on, uh, including uh, uh, the No Apologies crew, who, by the way, congrats to them on their 350th episode that uh, mm-hmm. aired this week. But, uh, yeah, it should be fun. I've never been to the bar personally, but I've had a few people that I work with say that it's a perfectly decent spot. I picked it for a couple reasons. One, it's close to the, sh- to the center. Two, uh, the um, the drinks and the eats looked very reasonably priced, which for Manhattan is a hard thing to find. Um, I have no idea how actually how big it is. So I don't know if it can like hold uh, like 50 people or 200 people. That I don't know. We do have a, an area reserved. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, so hopefully we'll see a bunch of y'all mofos there. It should be a good time. And uh, listen, if it's not a good time, we can always go somewhere else. But yep. I suspect it'll be fun. If, as we enter the place, you see me make a beeline, that means I've spotted Sarah Harris. And I'm, Definitely. And I'm running towards her. Oh, yep. no doubt. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. I cannot so. wait to get my arms around that woman. That's right. Yep. So I'm, there, I'm so. warning her. She's probably going to listen to this. Yep. So I'm warning her in advance. It me. Yes. And yeah. and for, for uh, one of the things, uh, they say to look for the big yellow surfboard if you're wondering how to find the bar. Giant and, yellow surfboard sign. So. And probably the sounds of the ventures wafting from within. So we would walk past the, uh, the, the Irish kitchen that we uh, usually meet up with the No Apologies guys, right? I presume. I think. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not looking at a map or anything, but I would think so. All right, Saturday yeah, based I would on Zoom. Okay. I have just one request, just one. Saturday, can we go back to that place that we got the friggin' fish and chips, and you had the shepherd's pie, or did you have the fish and chips too? Oh, that was one of the little Irish. Oh, the Irish pub. Oh, yeah. dude, that, I, was, that was off Broadway. Where you're was hilarious? Uh, I like, still have dreams. You want to go to the Irish pub? I fi- I still have dreams of those fish and chips. Holy shit. That's how I mean, good it was. This is probably the best fish and chips I've ever had. Wow. 
I, I, I guess. I mean, I... I mean, it's not a mandate. If you guys don't want to go in, I'll just get a takeout. But I'm just saying. Hilarious. Yeah. Just got to find it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember which one we went to. It was on the way to book off. Right. Okay. Well, listen, I mean, the world's our oyster. We got plenty to... It's true. Yes. Yeah. We only have so much time to spoon, though, so... Very true. All right. Here it is. Lobo by Keith Giffen and Alan Grant. Volume 1. Published, of course, by DC Comics. It contains... We should get this out of the way while we're at it. The uh, very first Lobo miniseries, which everybody knows as the last Zarnian, right? Yeah. Yep. It contains the Lobo paramilitary Christmas special, Lobo 2, a.k.a. Lobo's Back. Uh, what else do we got here? The... Um, oh, Blazing Chain of Love, yes. which, which is a complete whiff, whatever. And well, I mean, it's, but yeah, um, it's not good. And it's the, uh, well, but the um, uh, originally published Lobo's Back one through four, the Lobo Convention Special, and the uh, the Who's Who in a DC Universe right. number eight, the, in, um, nestled in the back, the, the loose leaf version. But yeah, um, so yeah, Lobo's Back is the is the last story in the book. The um, this was. There was more in here than I, I knew it had Lobo and Lobo's back. I knew it had the paramilitary special. I forgot about the other two specials being included in this. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty much the chronological publication history of of Lobo as far as the miniseries go uh, after he had been, after he joined Legion. Right. And we should set that up because it's very important for the initial uh, miniseries, The Last Zarnian, because people may be reading this and saying wow why is lobo in a team that doesn't seem right to me it seems anathema to the character to be with other people interacting with other people the deal was jason do you know why lobo joined legion no man i i know very little about lobo so one of lobo's dolphins was killed that's fucked and lobo traced the killers back to legion and really End of the story, Vril says to him, okay, I'll make you a deal. We'll provide protection for your dolphin, your, your space dolphins, if you join our little police club here. And that's uh-huh. how Lobo got into Legion. Mm. Yeah. Okay, yes, but the reason why Vril Dox has him under his thumb is because... He and Lobo fought. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, right. that's, that's how explained in here as well. And, right. And, and so, it, it, but yes, yes. I mean, that's how he. That's how he got part. That's how he got hooked into into um, his the first alliance with the Legion. But yes, as far as then him him being a member and and not being able, not being allowed to kill, um, and having to actually listen to to Docs. Um, was because and of the I fight. Just, so, right. w- one thing I thought was super cool is that his first appearance in the Omega Men <laughs> was drawn by Keith Giffen. Yes. Yeah, yeah Keith neat. was the original Omega yeah, Man. Omega. That's neat. Keith was the original Omega Men artist, which is why it's the characters created by uh, Giffen and um, and Silver, even though after Omega Men, and I don't think Silver had anything to do with the character. Everything's pretty much just Ben Giffen. And to 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 an extent, um, well, and and Alan Grant, 
Giffen and Grant are pretty much the caretakers. Well, the Omega Men Lobo was a shadow of this Lobo. He was, I mean, he was a muscular clown. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and he was hired was, to take out uniform. Callista. It's during the Citadel War. He was hired to take out Callista, and he ends up fl- um, flipping the script, and Callista hires Lobo to protect um, Primus. And, uh-huh. Yeah. And then Giffen and Grant wrote Legion. Yeah. Where he appears. Okay, so that, I mean, it all makes sense. Yeah, and then, I mean, it's the 90s, and, and you let Simon Bisley draw your character, you're going to get a, a, a big thrash metal-looking dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Rob Zombie, um, before Rob Zombie, actually. Yeah. One could yeah. argue that Rob took his look from Lobo. Uh, after a while, in the Alex Horley miniseries, Alex Horley based Lobo on Rob Zombie. I mean, he he looked exactly like him, all, albeit all buffed out. But right. early on, uh, this uh, Bisley's defining the look of Lobo for ever, probably, right? Um, but you got to frame this thing because Giffen and Grant. This was a satirical look at comics of the time. It was supposed to be. Uh, reaction to the grim and gritty uh, genre that was permeating comics of this period, and it ended up the the most of the readership didn't perceive it as satire. They thought they were just playing, you know, to the to the audience and giving them what they they thought they wanted. But Giffen and Grant, it was like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Let's see how far we could take this. Let's look into the future of this grim and gritty trend in comics and see how far we can go. Whereas the fanboys looked at it like, wow, this is the best thing ever because they're giving us exactly what we want. They didn't, they weren't in on the joke. Well, can I, can I stop you for a second? Yeah, whatever. Uh, but you, you and David both read this at the time and loved it. So are you, are you saying you were the fanboys? Oh, hell yeah. At the time, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. I didn't perceive it as anything other than the nth degree of what all the other stuff that was going on. Right, okay. I didn't see the, the, the wink, whereas uh, the only reason why I know it was was because I've read things and heard things out of Giffen's mouth since then, since reading it, that said, you know, this was not supposed to be taken literally. This was, no, this, yeah, you know. No, by no means. And anybody, yeah, it's, it's silly to think. But it's, and that answers the question that, that that jason asked at the beginning of every book of the month is vincent i did read this when it was coming out um and i believe jason read lobo for the first time for tonight correct absolutely Woo-hoo. and just since you brought it up vince because uh maybe we read the same thing since i didn't know much about the character uh i was doing a little uh interwebbing and i came across an article from the kirby collector um tomorrow's publishing shout out to them where they did a, a career retrospective with giffen it was a Giffen focused, uh, huge article. But needless to say, he talks about Lobo and Ambush Bug and 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 the humor involved. And actually, you kind of led with it. He said at one point, uh, "I thought Lobo was one of those vile, completely unlikable buffoons who would be the poster boy for high caliber access." But apparently, he went a whole other direction. Interesting story about Lobo. We did the first series, and the damn thing took off, and DC didn't know what to do with it. I was stuck with a character that I really didn't like. So as a goof, I cobbled together this Christmas story. It was so far over the top, I sent it into DC just to watch their eyeballs spin. Two weeks later, Bisley calls and goes, you're kidding, right? 
I said, what? He says, this Christmas thing. I said, they sent it to you? He goes, yeah, okay. Then let's jack up the level. We went in and got Santa as a cross-dressing elf molester and stuff, and they published it. At that point, I went into Dick Giordano and said, hey, we want to do another Lobo series. I said, okay, Dick, I'll tell you what. I'm going to stay on the series and continue doing Lobo. They were thinking of doing a monthly, which I thought would be a really bad idea. I knew they'd try and shoehorn him into the DCU, and he didn't belong there, their continuity, etc. And then he said, I'm going to keep throwing stuff at you, and the first time you tell me to stop or you censor me, I'm leaving the book. And Giordano laughed and said, Keith, I don't think you can do that, but go ahead. I trust you. It was the final issue of Lobo's Back when they called and said, you can't do this. Remember the scene when he's fighting Torquemada and the Inquisitors of Doom? Well, that wasn't the original plot. It was supposed to be Combat Christ and the Howling Apostles. (laughs) And DC said, absolutely not. And I said, okay, fine. So long. Take care. I walked away and handed the reins over. So, yeah. And um, Lobo was extrapolated from one of Giffen's early characters called Lunatic. Okay. That he created very, very early, probably even before he was a comics professional. And he always had the character bouncing around in his head. And that's, you know, Lunatic led to Lobo. Mm-hmm. But apparently Lobo is Stan Lee's favorite DC character. Is that right? <laughs> if if the Wikipedia page is, <laughs> is to be believed. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for me creating Wolverine <laughs> and the Punisher, <laughs> this Lobo character would never be out there. True believer. Oh. <laughs> He'll be wearing his evil Yeah. But, th- I mean... If you look at the violence in The Last Zarnian and then you mm-hmm. compare it to Lobo's Back, they up the violence. Oh, yeah. At, oh, yeah. In, in the, but the, paramil- or the, yeah, the paramilitary Christmas special, the violence is off the charts. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing I, I thought about with this is since you guys read Lobo and had an affinity for him and I really wasn't that familiar with him, um, I can see why you would have – almost no interest in Deadpool. Well, because no, because well, may, tell me I'm wrong, but my view on this after reading this was, well, this came first yep. and it's probably better in that it's more visceral. Mm-hmm. And so like, if I had had the connection to this character, I probably would find Deadpool to be a milk toast version of this. Cause, cause Marvel never rarely, if ever let, let Deadpool do this kinds of things right. without it being totally lampoonish and, and slapstick. Uh, whereas, you know, they went there in this book. Yeah. So, uh, it is, um, so, and again, maybe I'm wrong there, but I just, and now I'm reading, I'm like, oh, no, no wonder they really never connected Deadpool. Cause he's like a watered down version of, of, of this guy. Well, I don't think never connecting to Deadpool is true. I, I enjoy a good Deadpool story, mm-hmm. but I think you, you have to admit that all things considered, I don't think there would, I don't think Joe Casey would have arrived at his approach to Deadpool had Lobo not existed. Because no, you- well, right. No, I, I didn't have that opinion one way or the other until this week. But then after reading this, I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. Like I, I get it. Cause this guy is one of the, I mean, this is in the big two, really the first hyper violent over the top archetype. Um, and, and, and obviously there, there've been other attempts since, um, it also made me wonder if I'm missing the boat, having never read much of any ambush bug, because obviously yeah. that's another Giffen yeah. thing and he, a totally different angle. I mean, his, you know, he was taking a different tact on humor from 
with that, but I don't know if y'all are fans of the Ambush Bug or not. Hell oh, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think Ambush Bug is closer to Deadpool than Lobo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, okay. Because Ambush Bug will look right at you as you're reading the comic. Yeah, and and, and talk to you, and, but yeah. you don't get a whole at least not in this book. You don't get a whole lot of fourth wall breaking from Deadpool. He's too busy killing shit. You know, he's he's right. single minded. But I mean, th- these early stories, they're studies in psychopathy. He is a he's a lunatic. He's a raving madman. He's entirely um, egotistical, self centered. He has no empathy. He's he's totally apathetic. He just wants to satisfy those those animal urges that he has. He's basically one note. But I think the these stories are more. They function more as form than they do as as content. Like if you look at Bisley's art, you could see the grace and the beauty and the ruggedness and the just the animalistic approach to it. I I I enjoy looking at the images as much as probably more than the actual stories because they tend to get after a while they tend to get a little on the boring side, right? But if you look at these images and it's like, wow, how does this stuff, how does Bisley's art get boring? And the answer <laughs> is it doesn't, mm-hmm. right? Um, he, he'll go intense line work, cross hatching, just blitzing the page with marks on one page. And on the next page, you have all these open areas like Lobo streaming through space. And it's very 60s op- art kind of, or, or you could say pop art, yeah. And uh, the colors are are screaming, and there there's candy colors in there, and it's just it it works on so many levels. But I think it works more in terms of form than it does in terms of content. Like we all have the the inner rage, I think, right? There's been times we'd want to just rip somebody's head off and walk away, like you stupid bastard. So we get it, but seeing that splayed across thirty two pages times. Um, six, seven, eight, nine—it gets a little old. Like I don't think you could read this trade in one shot. You'd have to take a little break because it's so. Yeah, over yeah the and time. I did. Yeah. Well, I will agree as the guy who who, read, who first experienced it uh, this week. I I would say, and I didn't want to. I don't. I don't want to say this. It sounds like a criticism. I really have. I have enjoyed it, or I, I enjoyed it rather quite a bit. But yeah, I think the the book as it's collected reads a bit one note in terms of the like what you get on the first five pages is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. But so I think it's probably you have to be in the mood for it. But I guess I was in the mood and I I I was very focused on like you said, Bisley's art is a sight to behold, and the knowing that he's that this is kind of an archetype, and then particularly that it was an archetype that was meant as a sat as satirical, but then became its own thing. That all kind of created this little uh, unique little like recipe or, or witch's brew to, to, to make me enjoy it in spite of the fact that it was a little one note. And again, I compare it to, to Deadpool, which is, you know, I've read it, and I often say people think of me as a big Deadpool fan. But as you know, I always say I've read more Deadpool comics that I didn't like than I have liked. Right. Because I think a lot of times he is a very one note character. Right. I mean, he's he basically is this slapstick guy that talks to you know, breaks the fourth wall and kills people. And, you know, right. So it can get repetitive. And I could see like I couldn't imagine reading this as an ongoing to, to Giffen's point in the tomorrows. Like, I, I think this would have like it would be hard to make this an ongoing. But I could see getting Lobo every every once in a while where he's doing his thing 
is is fun. Like I'm down for that. No, this was um, an ongoing, right? Lobo did have an ongoing at one time. Oh, but not that. But none of this, though. This is no. Oh, yeah, no. These are all. These are all the mini series. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, this did eventually segue in, yeah. into a, an ongoing. Well, I would just note that I've never heard you guys rave about that, and we didn't put that on the book of the month. So I'm guessing that uh, that doesn't that ongoing wasn't all as quality as this. No, I thought it was good. I mean, it had its ups and downs. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, yeah. As, as did all series of the time of sure. the period yeah no i i love it and for and me it's i i wanted to yeah and we and we could probably if if they're available then you know yeah i we could absolutely read them <laughs> at a later date but for me when i think of lobo it's it's the bisley art it's so i had to get the book that bisley drew on the list and and that's not and, and bisley is not the only artist in this book uh so keith giffen does your plots and breakdowns alan grant is your writer bisley does the art for lobo and lobo's back three quarters of it uh you have dennis cowan you have kevin o'neill and you have uh christian alame in the last issue of um of lobo's back uh laverne Kinzerski is your, and, and um, okay, Danny Vazo, Noel Giddings, and Digital Chameleon are your colorists, and uh, Tad, Tad, Todd Klein, uh-huh. and Gaspar Saladino Oot. on letters, and um, Eddie S. Lobo, created by Keith Giffen and Roger Sliffer, and um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, there's, when I, I Lobo's one of the earliest books that I double-dipped on, because I, I bought the miniseries, and I bought the I bought the collection because the collection was slipcased, and the collection the reason why it was slipcased is because you would get you'd get the reprinted material, but there was in for the only time the only way to get this book is in the slipcase collection, and it was called the Wit and Wisdom of Lobo, and I loved that book. And one reason I loved it is that uh, it pissed a lot of people off because the wit and wisdom of Lobo, aside from having the the black and white um, reprinted image of Lobo on the cover, is it was a trade paperback. It wasn't a trade paperback. It was just a paperback book of nothing but blank pages. Yep. And people were livid that they just published that DC published blank pages and, and, and slapped the cover on it, bound it and, and stuck it in a slipcase. And whether they were pissed because they thought they were getting some original material in this, in this slipcase, or they just hated the fact that, that they went through the whole process of packaging blank pages. Cause I guess they've never bought sketchbooks. It, it, I don't know, but, um, I, I missed that, that slipcase, but yeah, it was so, but, so, you know, general, Mainstream readers are not too receptive to conceptual objects to art, right? And, and, and that's what it is. Not like to be poked fun of. True, as we know from from Dark Knight too. But you have, um, <sighs> oh, Dark Knight Strikes Again. But you have, you know, yes. But there's, you're right. Yeah, it's if if it's not if it not so much if they're they're hemming on it to be held, but it, at least if they uh, if they're in on the joke from the beginning. Then they're cool with it, and and if they um, 
but yeah, I, I, I think you said it quite well, Vince. Right. It was, uh, but yeah, so I mean, after I bought the, the miniseries and, and then this collection, I, yeah, I, I do believe that as far as I remember with my own money, um, buying things new as they were coming out, that uh, that Lobo would be the first thing I double dipped yeah. on. But we tipped the hat to Lobo for inspiring other characters in his wake. But you got to give it up to what came before Lobo, because without this stuff, there would be no Lobo. And I, th- this initial miniseries is disturbingly British. Mm. If it wasn't, yes, if I it, agree. I if it wasn't yeah. right for Alan I Grant, like I could have seen this in 2000 AD if it wasn't a DC. Well, that's character. the thing. That's, oh, yeah. that's yeah. the stepping stone. 2000 AD uh, with, led it's directly to Lobo. But if you're going to give credit where it's due, you got to shake Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill's hands for martial law, because yeah, sure, because sure. without martial law, there would be no freaking Lobo. And it went full circle because we get Kevin O'Neill on the book or on the character at right. the end of the trade. Yeah, right, yep. right. But it is uh, very, very British. Uh, I think Giffen is is the the exclamation point. But this could have been a 2080 series, for sure. Yeah, it's you know, albeit it's it has the aesthetic, it has the sure. tone. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's just uh, go into the uh, initial last Zarnian miniseries. Lobo, of course, is pissed off as it opens because somebody has written an unauthorized biography of Lobo, and he's not too pleased with the contents. He eventually finds out that the person who um, who wrote the biography was none other than his fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Tribb, who is also a Zarnian. And he's pissed off because he thought he killed all the Zarnians. But the, the rub is that Vril Docks says, you know, yeah, I got something for you to do. You have to transport this prisoner safely into my hands. Don't let this prisoner get killed. Don't let anything happen to them. This is your job to transport this prisoner safely into my hands. And wouldn't you know it, the prisoner that Docs entrusts him with is Miss Tribb, the woman who wrote the book that pissed him off so much. So he's he's enraged. He He just wants to rip her apart, but he can't. Because he promised, he gave, his word. He gave yep. his word to Vril, and that's the one thing about Lobo. He's he's, I don't want to say evil, but he's unhinged and psychotic, and you never know what he's going to do. But if he gives you his word, that's yeah. his that's his bond. He will stand by the word until I he mean, doesn't he have killed, to. He committed genocide of his own race. I'd say that makes him evil, right? But that's the thing about Lobo. You know, the uninitiated perceive Lobo as being stupid. Or at least not um, one of the one of the higher intellects of the DC universe. But he genetically engineered a parasite that killed you know that killed his people. That's facts, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Lobo's pretty damn smart, and he uses words. There's a spelling bee later on in the in the book. <laughs> he he he's not um, a chowderhead. He's not no. dumb. He just no. likes to come off that way, you know. And uh, another thing about this book. This Lobo is severely depowered. This is not the Lobo that went toe-to-toe with Big Blue. <laughs> you know? Um, oh, is that right? Yeah. No. I mean, he's he's strong. He, I mean, how many bullets does he take in this thing? But he's not. Well, that's also because he 
Zarnians have the ability to 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 heal and and right. restore limbs and and but you basically, don't see, yeah you don't I see much of that. Interesting that um, in the Who's Who at the end of the trade, it says that he never uses weapons, and obviously in the trade itself, he he guns down <laughs> lots and lots of elves. So yeah, and like, he uses knives and stuff and the hook. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What? It's it's been tweaked over the years, <laughs> but but this this Lobo uh, can't. I, I don't. I hesitate to think what would happen if this version of Lobo went up against Superman. I mean, as we saw in the Triangle era, yes, even with the color forms, Superman went one on one with Big Blue and survived to tell the tale. So that's pretty damn strong, right? It's true. It is. Uh, and, uh, so what happens in this, in this miniseries? Well, there's a, a safe access zone around, um, Cairn, the, the planet on which Legion is, is based. And Lobo's trying to get to Cairn to bring the, the prisoner to Vril and everybody and their brother gets in on the act. There are groups faithful to Lobo and there are groups that hate Lobo's guts and they're all trying to either protect him or watch him do what he does or take him out. You have Sick Bag and the Sons of Lobo that, I mean, okay, they're loyal to Lobo and they just want to see the main man do what the main man does. There's a group of old ladies called the Legion of Decency that want to take out Miss Trib for writing this book. Uh, during the course of the series, Lobo goes to a showing of the Pan Galactic Demolition Dance Company and gets in on the act and kind of upstages the dance company so they hate him uh lobo kills a police officer so the i need a sex police swat team and that's very funny the name of the planet is called i need a six but it's i need the sex um this swat team is after lobo lobo beats the shit out of elvis a trucker early in the series so elvis and his hell truckers are going after lobo uh it's they're just it's like it's a mad 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 world in space everybody's heading towards the same location trying you know for whatever goal they may have and um it comes to a very unexpected conclusion although in hindsight it shouldn't have been but uh, uh, should we? Sp- I mean, it's it's old. Should we spill the beans? Yeah, I, I think spoilers are assumed. Yeah, that's what I usually all right. Usually, yeah. <laughs> so Lobo uh, get, comes out on top, and he brings Miss Trib to Vril and hands her over. And once he hands her over, and the uh, stipulations of the agreement have been met, he snaps her neck, kills her. Yeah, he just listen. He he delivered him, delivered him to Docs as promised, and now that he's in his custody, all bets are off. His 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 job's done, and Lobo has to do what Lobo set out to do because this this cannot stand. Like you know, he thought he was the last Arnian, and and now he truly is, and he delivered her to Docs, and he did what he had to do. So. well, he then, was of course, the last Zarnian until 2018. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. So then you have... <laughs> After um, reading this, I can really can only imagine the emotions you almost have at the at the quote-unquote new Lobo. Emo Lobo. 
no such thing. The, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and of course, they everything. Kind of into being a son. I think. Oh, you mean the Colin Bunn Lobo? The one that yeah, was... Skinny, the emo Lobo. The yeah, new 52 yeah, Lobo. Boy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was a travesty. It was garbage. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and now there's a female Lobo, right? Uh, no. But it's Crush. Yeah, that's not... Right, she's Lobo's daughter? Yes. That's what she says. She's in Teen Titans, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah they're, they're somehow related some way. I don't... I don't... They're, they're, yes, they're apparently... Is it like a quote-unquote Joker's daughter thing? Like, it's not really... I can hope. Yeah. Um, I it, her from what I could tell, the couple of issues I've read, I've, uh, her, her origins are still so, because she's not. She doesn't know everything about herself. She's not mm-hmm. sure. I, I guess mom said that Lobo was her father, but you know he's like, listen, kid, you ain't. I I don't. Right. Never seen you before. So. Um, but what but makes yeah. Lobo special? I mean, aside from the the hyper violence, he's the last of his kind because he destroyed his kind. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's what makes Lobo unique. Otherwise, he's just a, a, a murderer, a madman, a superpowered madman. But the thing that, that elevates Lobo, at least conceptually, is that he's so bad, so foul, so wicked, that he destroyed his entire race to be the last one of mm-hmm. said race. Like, that's I, – I love that. That's – that's bitching. I, I loved well, – the 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 visuals are what attracted me to because back then this was you know I had the the live after the back patch on my I'm a denim jag I was I Iron Maiden Metallica that's what I I wore my black baseball cap I look like Wayne Campbell I just I love the look of low but it it just it, it, it the, the sweet spot of where I was in my life at, at how I looked at things and and looked at myself. That's there was just something. It was a connection there, and, and it was weird that yeah, Lobo is he's he's an he's an alien, but he is unlike any other character DC had. D- DC didn't have a a Wolverine-like character. They didn't have a Punisher-like character who would just go around and actually hurt people like that. They didn't have this was you know this was they they had Watchmen, but they didn't have you know it's not like they really didn't have Peacekeeper doing what Comedian did in 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 their comics. So you really didn't have the closest you had was a Vigilante, and and nobody was really paying a whole lot of attention to Vigilante. So here's this just over-the-top character doing and saying whatever the hell he wants. And um, it just, it was a complete opposite of everything else DC was doing, whether it was Milestone, whether it was whatever was going on in the Superman stuff, whether, I mean, you know, the Wahaha Justice League. I mean, this was all... Lobo was a 180 from 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 everything else DC was putting on, so it was it was an escape from the escape as as far as I could see. Yeah, and you know me, I I loved it from Jump just because it leapt over the line of good taste. 
and it was and it came out of DC, which was like wow, right, right, it was totally unexpected. So mm-hmm. of of right, course, the iconic DC, the icon with the all the iconic you know perfect characters, right? Yes, right. Yeah. I mean you're talking Wayne Boring, Kurt Swan, like, and then you can make the dotted line to Lobo. Like this is the company that uh, truth, justice in the American way, and you have this this character just ripping entire planet. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, if I had to pick a favorite sequence in the first miniseries, it has to be the 14th annual orthography commando spelling bee. (laughs) (laughs) Does the internet not need an orthography commandos? Like the spelling misspelling is rampant on the internet. Uh, We should, we should have these guys just killing people for spelling things wrong. And and Lobo enters a spelling bee with Miss Trib, and um, we see contestants drop one by one because they continue to spell things wrong. And the the orthography commandos are are brutal. They will kill you for spelling something incorrectly. They'll kill you for an um. They'll kill oh yeah, you for an outburst. But an um within the word, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're breaking, you're defiling the sacred arrangement of letters by, uh, if you stutter in the middle, you're dead. And the one, the, the reigning champion, and, and in that one panel where he's just been sweating so much, that one panel where he's like almost up to his neck in, <laughs> in moisture. It's just, I mean, like, I love little shit like that. It, it's just, it, it just added to, to, to what made me chuckle about it. But, um, and I, yeah, and, and at this point, um, Trib had gone to the um, gone to the theater with uh, with Gus, who was supposed to be watching her. Lobo entrusted uh, Trib, and and he um, Lobo goes to call Docs, comes back to his room, finds Trib and Gus gone. Um, Lobo can track anyone anywhere. Uh, finds out that they are at the theater, but at the end of that little escapade, he chops her legs off at the thigh so this way she can't mm-hmm. scurry and scamper away anywhere else. And normally, you know, if she were younger, as she points out, were she not so advanced in age, her limbs, of course, would grow back, but now they'll just heal. Um, so so she'll be a cripple for the rest of her days, uh, or at least for the next issue and a half. But the... Um, yeah, it's just, so now she's just walking around, or not, not walking around. Yeah. That's just being carried around with these these ham hock looking things at the bottom of her dress. It's just it's it's um it's a sight. Yeah, and of course she saves uh, Lobo's bacon in the spelling bee because the commandos find out that she is a teacher, and teachers well, are sacred. She does no, so she doesn't save his bacon because once she admits. Once she says, "Yeah, well, no," Lobo says, "Listen, well, she's would eventually she's got an killed. unfair advantage because she's a teacher, right?" And and um, and they and and she says, "Yes, I am a teacher, and I've been badly abused by this lout. He ruined my evening at the ballet. And then he cut off my legs, and at that point, Lobo was then taken from the spelling bee and strung up and sentenced um, to death because he abused a sacred giver of literacy." And uh, and and that's when Lobo's finally like had enough because yes he yeah, is the, able the chaining to escape. It didn't mean anything to him. He's like okay, this is yeah exactly. Um, and then 
as as they're flying away, she. I hope you're proud of yourself, you Rafi. And he's like, just button it. And he's like, and it's just they're on their way um, to a uh, to some more fun and games. You know what I found hilarious in this first series? There's no shortage of beautiful women roaming the corridors of Legion <laughs> HQ for for Vril to to you know badmouth. Every time he walks from place to place, he goes, whatever, there's always a redheaded, comely woman in the hallway carrying something. And <laughs> you, you'll get a profile and you can see You're the, right. Yeah. yeah. There's always a woman. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking, but it, I, I think it's very funny that <laughs> uh, the this woman appears all the time. It's cute. Um, so uh, there's a detour taken along the way. Uh, Lobo and Ms. Trib go to a, uh, a pleasure planet, and she, you know she's totally aghast. But while on the, the pleasure planet, um, what's it called? Revel. Yes. Name of the planet. Revel Seven. Revel Seven. Uh, Lobo comes up with the idea of just telling everybody, "Hey, I'm going to start shooting in X amount of hours, so y'all better get off the planet." And it just creates chaos. People, mm. people killing other people, just trying to get off the planet. And, you know, Lobo's like, it was a joke. Whatever. <laughs> all, all this uh, bloodshed, yeah, it was a little joke. Oh, I love this book. But now you can be a badass bounty hunter for only $199. You can, yeah. Uh, for as much as I love the uh, initial miniseries, the paramilitary Christmas special is, I think, the sweet spot in the, let's just call it the, the golden first wave of Lobo. The the Christmas special is so foul, so it's in such bad taste that it just it gets the the prize from me because it, it opens up uh, this uh, couple are arguing because the husband lost his job and they have no money and it's Christmas and if if they enter into Christmas Day without getting things for their kids, their kids are going to turn on them and and kill them. So the husband comes up with this bright idea. Well, you know what? I'm going to kill them in their sleep. So they <laughs> so they can't turn on us. Like it's such a novel idea. Let's kill our kids so our kids can't kill us, you know? And um so there's a knock on the door and they go outside there's nobody there but there's a book. And it's the Lobo Christmas Sanction. And it tells the story of Lobo being hired by the Easter Bunny. Well, not just the Easter Bunny. All of the uh, the holiday figures, uh, save those of Chris, that of Christmas, hire Lobo to take out Santa Claus because they're sick of being overshadowed by this fat bastard and his little, you know, slimy elves that we want to take him out. So Lobo. By takes the way, I love that the Easter Bunny has a giant lisp because he's got giant teeth with a gap tooth. <laughs> and he's That's an, the best. And he's an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> so Lobo takes the job. And, and goes, you know, to the North Pole to take out Santa. And in doing so, uh, he takes out many, many, many elves in extremely gruesome fashion. Eyes flying out of their sockets, jaws ripped from their skulls, brains shooting all over the place. And it is, it's very beautifully rendered by Mr. Bisley. Like heads just lopped off. And this, I think the paramilitary special is the first appearance of dog, right? I believe you're right. Lobo's little, uh, it's a bulldog uh, with an iron cross. It's so sweet. 
<laughs> so sweet. Uh, and so Lobo gets into a one-on-one with uh, Santa and viscerally, I mean, extremely gruesomely takes out Santa, beheads him, um, but not before beating him to the point where Santa has a dangling eyeball on a on an optic cord and uh, the penguins are like, yeah, fuck this guy. We're free at last. <laughs> Friggin' penguins. Uh, the penguins show up in other books, too. Yep. And uh, what was the name of Santa's? Uh, I don't know why Santa has a silverback gorilla, but he does. Kong. Oh, duh. Um, Kong. And Kong tags along along with Lobo. But Lobo uses Santa's factory to make uh, warheads. And uh, he, Kong, and Dog spend the night uh, plastering the countryside with uh, nuclear weapons. And so th- the uh, the gist of the thing was the parents were supposed to read this book to the children to show them that, you know, you better watch out because Lobo's coming. So Christmas, we, we can't provide for you on Christmas because Lobo fucked it all up. And unfortunately for the parents, the book was good for one read only. <laughs> and we see the uh, the father making that uh, desperate trudge up the steps, and he kills his children in his sleep. To which Lobo responds with the middle finger and does dog, Merry Christmas, compadres, ho, ho, fragging ho. It's just a, a feel-good hit <laughs> of the it's season. True. It's true. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, I, I, for as much as I went gaga over the initial miniseries, it was the paramilitary special was like, oh, this is the cat's ass. This is just amazing. Yeah. Jason, did you like this one? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I like the whole book. I, I just, uh, but I think for me, the, 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 the star of the book by far is the, is the Christmas issue. Like yeah. just because it is so over the top and so uproarious. And I mean, it's not often you see, uh, like <laughs> it's not often you see like you know uh, Santa as like a pedophilic molester. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, when you get that glimpse into the closet and and you see, you know, you see like the masks, <laughs> and the whips, and the, it's like, oh, okay. And and it is funny because you know you juxtapose it again. I, at least I am because I have so much more experience with the character like Deadpool. Uh, you know, Scotty just wrapped up his run on Deadpool, and uh, in one of the ep- episodes, in one of the issues, uh, Deadpool takes on Santa. Uh, and I'd be curious to ask Scotty now in retrospect, because when I read it, I had no context for it. If, if, if he was a big Lobo fan, I don't know if you guys know that or not, because I, it's a much tamer conflict with Santa than in this, but it was hard for me not to juxtapose that experience of reading that with this. And this is way more over the top. I mean, as, as you can imagine, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's, it just factors into my kill your idols you know, methodology. We should hold nothing sacred. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about the bond between man and woman or man or couple and child, children. But what I'm saying is we should make fun of basically everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if there's a line, jump over it or erase it or just push the boundaries of art to the point where you get things like this um, Christmas special. But the, again, I was also surprised back in the day that while the violence was ramped up, there wasn't a whole lot of sexuality in in Lobo. Even when they had the opportunity in the second miniseries, Lobo's Back, 
because mm-hmm. Lobo's reincarnated as a woman, they really could have pushed yeah, they were, yeah. the the um, overt sex um, and goings on in, uh, in that respect, but they didn't. There's there's a you know there there are erect nipples here and there, and um, with Ramona, you get to see a little bit of areola once in a while. Uh, right, but there's really not a whole lot of nudity in these mm-hmm. in these books, which is I think is surprising and somewhat tasteful in that it's easy to go gratuitous with the sex but I think also it's just it's we kind of still live in that world today where it's okay to say whatever you want, be as violent as you want. But God forbid you see any tits or ass. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's true. I mean, I would, sure. I, I would imagine part of it was that DC was cool with the violence, and we probably would have pushed back on the on the TNA, right? Um, but if, I mean, Lobo's methodology—if if he acted entirely in character, he'd be fucking shit left and right. Sure. That's why I don't really care for Blazing Chain of Love because Lobo has copious amounts of sex in the book, and you don't see any of it. Whereas if you if they were going to stay true to the approach where no holds barred, um, nothing is forbidden, then they should have shown it. They could have done it in shadow if they were a little queasy about the nudity. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's they jump behind bushes that you, you see women uh, provocatively posed, but you don't see, you know, explicitly Lobo having sex with all these women. And I, I thought that that's a cop out. See, I didn't. I, I don't know if I viewed it as a cop out. I mean, it's 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 not heavy metal. It's it's they were. It's like you said with with 2000 AD. Uh, not, not a direct comparison, but they don't really tend to to show a lot of that there either. This was, I think, the 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 point of the stories were to get from A to B and and throwing adding sex to it. Wouldn't yeah? I mean, it would make sense, and you would expect that of the character, but that's not. It's it. Maybe maybe less is more. It's weird. I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't think it was missing anything. I didn't think I, by not having it, um, I didn't. I didn't feel jipped. I'm not saying you felt jipped. It's just I. I. I don't know if it would have served the purpose other than like, yeah, I, I, I would expect, you know, Lobo to start chowing down on, on some strange. It's just, it's, it's, um, it, yeah, it's, it's, I, everything else is so jam packed on these pages and, and what we're getting. I don't, I don't know if, if actually having him, the end, the innuendo is, was more than told the tale. Brother, I love you. But if the point of the story is to infiltrate a brothel. A, yes. su- a sultan has multitudes of wives, all of them at the, the sway of this one man. If if you're setting up the story by having Lobo go into this situation where all of these women exist for nothing more than sex objects for this one man, and Lobo doesn't have sex, then that's a cop-out. But he does. We, yeah, I mean, yeah we but don't you don't see it. See it. No, right. you're right. But he's still... But, but he's still you know, he still talks about how worn out he is and, and, and how much more he's got to put up with it. But I mean, yes, so you don't, so instead of, so we we get some more double page spreads of of Lobo's abs instead of his ass. I just, it's, it's, I definitely see, I, I, I get it. I, I, I see your point. No, I just think it's, it shows restraint. Whereas in the past there, there was none. 
at least in terms of of the violence. If you set a precedent, right? Now oh yeah, that. no, no. There's absolutely yeah. No, yeah. they don't. I they, think they, David is right yeah. though. I mean, that's a long-standing dichotomy with our country, right? I sure. Mean, we have this puritanical aversion to sex and whatever anything that's considered mainstream, but but violence is totally fine. And and, yeah. uh, and not it, to get too far afield, but I mean, look at even with video games and stuff, right? I mean, like every parent, well, not every parent, but the majority of parents are more than happy to let their kids play for hours games like Call of Duty. Right and and yeah. and Halo, but God forbid there's a, a titty in a book or a movie, and uh, and and you know they want the teacher fired, right? So and it's it's, like, it's so ironic though because sex is natural and human, right? Right. We and want then, we want yeah. our children to be sexual, sure. And then like you know, well, I, that, I hope people know what I mean. We want <laughs> right. our, we want our children to grow up to be sexual beings. I mean, right. I, yeah. And then you have the accepted thing. Of violence, which is inhuman and unnatural, mm-hmm. and, right. and so that's it's, what I'm saying. It's we just, don't want our kids to grow up to be violent. At least most of us don't. Right. But we want them to have healthy, loving sex lives. Right. Well, I don't that's want to think about natural. that. But yes, I, yeah. I'm hoping it's loving. But whatever. Um, so yeah, there there is a, a huge rift between um, the obvious and the ironic, and it's just. I, I, it's the Facebook algorithm. You show a nipple on Facebook, you're gone. But how many times do they, do people put up like, uh, con- concerned people? Like, look what's happening in the Middle East and there'll be some kind of violent, bloody mm-hmm. image and they're like, that's okay. The, uh, the, the, because the first miniseries, it was always, there's a special place in my heart for it, so it was very hard for me to 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 not to that that was the gold standard. I would you know didn't matter what came after it. It it, it they would all pale in comparison. But it it years later, and especially now rereading it again here, um, I do like the military. I like the special a lot more than I probably did initially, and I. Couldn't explain why. I had no problem with the violence. I had no problems with the with with with, with Santa or the Easter Bunny. It's just, I, and I think as far as a straightforward story, it's just it, it's Lobo doing Lobo, and and I like for whatever reason, I just I like the way Biz draws the character in the special a little more than I like the way he appeared in. In the first miniseries, I, there are so many pages yeah. in the paramilitary special that I just I, I I can get lost in. Well, experience, right? He he worked out the kinks in the first series, and now he he perfected the the approach to in right, a sense, right. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I totally agree with you. I think the depiction of Lobo in the special is is um, more refined than uh, I mean. Some of his uh, Bisley likes to exaggerate, <laughs> whereas in the the paramilitary special, a lot of that anatomy is friggin' dead on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it would that's make true. Neil Adams proud. You know, you know, when I look at Bisley, I it's funny because I think I wonder if fifteen year old me would have liked this art. I think I might not have. I wow. think you might not have. Huh? Well, because right, because you know, I was much more into the conventional capes and cow. I mean. But I say I wonder I can't be for sure because I love Sinkavich on New Mutants and you know, so there were things that were out of the norm that did intrigue me and I certainly look at it now and I love it but I, I, I as I was reading I'm like I wonder if I was reading this when it was coming off the shelves if I would have been like nah 
I don't know. But now I just um, now I just I gush at it. I mean, just the the rawness of it is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But I can remember a lot of jaws dropping at the local shop when this thing came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, which doesn't make sense to me because it's it's fictional characters doing <laughs> doing not real things to other fictional characters, and so therefore none of it is real. It's only marks on paper, and yet people got a little bit. Their panties got in a bunch because Lobo killed Santa Claus. It's like, oh my goodness, mm. uh, the the you know the hubbub was was like, you got to read this. It's so foul, and it's probably exactly the reaction that the creative team wanted. Well, and all, you can imagine then what the reaction would have been if he got his way in the second miniseries and got to use Jesus and the apostles. And he should that would have that would have been legendary if he did that. And well, I right, I totally agree with with Giffen. He should have been able to do that. But um, you know, as with uh, Veach and Swamp Thing when he wanted to have Swamp Thing uh, regenerate as the cross mm. uh, onto which uh, supposedly Jesus was nailed DC said no way because we've got this Batman movie coming out and we don't want any negative publicity so Veach said okay fuck it I'm done right I you didn't know? know that but that's interesting yeah yep yep so and I was wrong I thought the um, I honestly thought and I and I finished this the other day, I, I honestly thought the um, the sequel miniseries Lobo's Back was at the end of this book. But no, here it is, right after the first special. Yeah. Uh, in a nutshell, um, Lobo is done with Legion, and he uh, encounters uh, an old, I don't know what I call her, friend, an old acquaintance named Ramona, who... Uh, Parses out jobs. Uh, Lobo becomes basically a skip tracer, uh, which is, uh, you know, a bounty hunter. Hunting down people who run out on whatever. They welsh on a deal or they they owe money to someone. So Lobo goes and hunts them down. And in the process, Lobo is, uh, he's killed by this this character called Lou. And that's L-O-O. So if you you know your British slang, a Lou is, is a bathroom, a toilet. And uh, Lou has a brother named Feces. (laughs) In a bag. In a bag. Feces in a bag. Maybe a colostomy bag. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So so Lobo's killed. Yes. Dead. In half. I mean, and it's, it's amazing that it took Feces to do him in, considering uh, he's got... Uh, casings and shells in place of of, uh, of a jawbone. Half his brain is filled with with more bullets. Um, it's they've been slicing and dicing each other. It's it's uh, it's an insane and intense and and gruesome end. Yes, I would like to trace the first appearance of giant piles of spent uh, bullet shells. <laughs> And see who did it first. It doesn't really matter who did it first, but just for the sake of of edumacation, I would I would really like to go back and and find who did the giant mound of shells initially. I I don't know if I want to say Frank Miller. He's a contender, right? You know, no, I have no idea. Jesus, I mean, yeah. But it, it's a wonderful um, visual uh, trope. Mm-hmm. To see a character wading through this giant pile of bullet shells, 
Um, but they, they both receive violent uh, wounds far in excess of what an, a, a regular human being could take and still walk. I mean, they're, they're, they're obviously, they, they're dead men walking, really. And um, as David said, uh, Brother Feces takes out Lobo. So what happens when you die? Well, issue two answers that question because um, Lobo finds himself in heaven. Why? Why in the hell would Lobo find himself in heaven? Well, it turns out that uh, hell doesn't want him. <laughs> and we get a nice little appearance by Etrigan who uh, entreats... No such thing. Well, what's that? As a nice appearance by Etrigan. Why? Mm. You're not. We, we we just covered this when we did the book of the month. I'm not. I'm not. Not feeling the the, the demon. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's still not a nice appearance. No, I know. Carry on. It's a wonderful. It was an, un, it was an unnecessary interlude. <laughs> no, it was just being real. Podcast verite. But the um, the rendition of Etrigan by Bisley is amazing. Why Bisley has never done uh, an Etrigan miniseries is is remains a mystery to me. I think his Etrigan is as savage and bestial as anyone would have expected coming out of Bisley. Sure. And he's got a huge dong. <laughs> as he should have, right? And I think Lobo's um leaf is a little too small. I do too. Yeah. I mean when you go back to the paramilitary special, dog has a bigger set than what this leaf is supposed to be hiding. Right. That's what I'm saying. Lobo should be hung like a Tyrannosaurus. Well, I don't know how big a Tyrannosaurus dick was. Like an elephant. And, it doesn't uh, matter. They couldn't reach it. So, so the, the, the gem of this first issue is Lobo's in, in heaven. Second. Second issue. Oh, that's in the second. I'm sorry. Second issue. Lobo's in heaven, and he's being escorted around by this very fey <laughs> angel. And yeah, it's very warring Worthington the third angel. Yes. And he's blonde and quaffed and 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 built like uh David and he's walking around and and um well a skinny, a skinny David. <laughs> not you know not our David. You mean you mean David the <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> not our David. But he he's the epitome of of uh, boyhoodness. Well, boyhood slash manness. And he's got a tiny little leaf, and he's he's looking at Lobo, and he looks down at Lobo's junk, and he's got his finger on his lip, <laughs> and he says, "Bit of a hit with the ladies, were you?" <laughs> and Lobo says, "Ain't had no complaints, bird boy." Um, but then Lobo says, "You think that gag will get by without being censored?" And if that's the worry. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I think I thought that that was cute, and that one panel is the the whole four issue miniseries. That one panel is the thing that does it for me. The look on on the angel's face, and his halo slightly askew when he's looking at Lobo's junk. Like even in heaven, there's shenanigans, right? So uh, the gist of it is. Uh, heaven wants Lobo out because Lobo's doing what Lobo does in heaven. He's he's instilling chaos and calamity and so what they do is they uh they re uh reincarnate him but he's reincarnated uh, because lobo makes explicit um 
he says to him, I don't want to be no baby. I don't want to, you know, go through all that crap again. I want to be reincarnated, fully formed. And he is uh, as a woman. And when uh, the female Lobo is born, uh, I think the chances are very good that the mother died in the process because he, she is covered in glop and viscera and just dripping, oozing stuff. But the the weird thing is, Yes, Lobo is reborn as a woman in, in most respects, save one. He retained one of his arms, mm-hmm. one of his mannish arms. So uh, she, Lobo, has a giant man arm, and the rest of it is just she hulkish. And his chain. Right. Yeah. Gotta which, have the chain and hook. Which I, I think there's something oddly arousing about female Lobo. You would. I do. Yeah. I really I, do. I, I know you're past it, but I have to say some of my favorite panels in all, this whole trade were in this issue. Um, like the one where it's all the cherubs and the angels and stuff hanging out and he's kind of staring at them. And the one dude's like, thou shalt not read comics. And then yeah. the God, I assume that's God. He's like, in a big hallelujah to you, bro. Like I, I lost that one. I was like, oh, that's hilarious. You know what I mean? But anything, anything uh, sacrilegious is going to tickle me. But uh uh, and then he's doing the the Jesus Jesus Bobesis fucking doing the, the name song with yes. fucking Jesus yeah. me my Bobesis and he's oh screaming my God. yeah with, yeah. with song he's harp. playing that's all harp right before the devil's horns but those two pages in particular are beautifully rendered by yeah Bis- by Bisley yeah. um yeah. I mean there he's not lacking in anything uh, line work anatomy composition uh concept i mean they're just phenomenal pages i'm assuming they're in the hands of collectors somewhere because these these two pages are just great right, well they're, yeah. they're all great but if you wanted to slap down uh, a one-time example of what simon bisley can do i think the page that chasen just detailed with uh lobo's entrance uh, and he's watching the cherubs uh, and god and everything, that's a, just a phenomenal page it it has rock solid drawing it has cartooning it has whimsy uh it's just a beautiful page yeah 100 percent agree yep and uh so lobo's reborn as a woman ha-cha and uh i can't believe you before that when um when etrigan demands heaven take him back um when they uh when they go back to um to talk to uh oh damn what the hell is the um... uh it's at the end of the the series they tell his name let let's just call him hell's jim baker cuz he looks a lot like jim baker yes so when Etrigan shows up you um my man is uh relieving himself oh he shits his pants yeah and it's, it's just i mean in the outline is just it's it's I, it, I my man goes through <laughs> quite a bit. I mean, he goes through quite a bit of shit, but he he just he what he transforms it. It's just it, I, it, and I don't it, get it. I, I mean, it started with the whole tapping of the temple because I mean I know people can do that, but I mean it, then it just becomes this 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 Cthulhu doctor. I, I just 
he transforms over the course of the 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 well from issues two half to four. his face at least yeah it's just hanging and he, i mean it's just I, there's no rhyme there's no reason why it doesn't <laughs> it it doesn't really make sense and but i i mean i i love it and i appreciate it a character just his his skin just transforming into this mass of tentacles and and he squeezes one on one panel yes. and this giant gout of pus just comes right out yeah. and it, no but it, the, if you have to ask why i guess you know you'll never get it right why not but uh the when lobo is reborn as a woman he's reborn into 1940 so he's not only reincarnated he's, he's displaced in time too and that is the one thing that i i don't think bisley researched much about <laughs> about life in 1940 because these characters don't look like 40s people they uh, look they look like 50s greasers that's true yeah but i mean whatever right who cares um so lobo's pissed and uh issue three sees a link to what would later come in giffen in the uh, justice league with general glory yes so and the blahaha that is used in some one of these issues they, they actually say blahaha so giffen was planning this shit i'm thinking even from back at this point right when was the first issue of justice league uh, this Oh no! Th- this Justice League came out before this. Oh, I'm pretty it did. Sure, I'm pretty sure General Glory was already. We, we already saw him in the book when. when no. Uh, I'll just yeah. No, you keep keep talking. I'll look it up. Because that was in the the arc that got really dark. Later, it was yes. like in the 40s. Well, eventually, yeah, because Guy Gardner found yes, it was that. That's when that's when Despero came back and Gypsy came. Yeah, back yeah, and, yeah. What? Yeah. Well, you find that. But so yeah. so she Lobo runs into General Glory and and uh, Ernie and they throw down a little bit um but it is the war and and Britain's being pelted by the Germans and Lobo's destroyed by anti-aircraft uh artillery and goes back to heaven of course um and pleads his case like Oh my god, Vince. Yes. Okay, this this issue Third issue of Lobo's Back came out, cover date October 1992. Yes. Okay. Justice League America, which premiered in 1989, that same month, issue 67 was out. So Dan Jurgens was writing and drawing the book at that point. So wow. this was well after. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. So there you go. So Lobo's, Lobo's Back in, in Heaven, right? And he just wants out, just get me out of here. So they acquiesce and, and they send him back. But what they do, they send him back as a squirrel, <laughs> a giant anthropomorphic squirrel. And he has words with death, the most disturbing depiction of Neil Gaiman's death I think I've ever seen. Yes. Death needs a sandwich. Hells yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Although you would think death probably should look like they need a sandwich. Oh, yeah. Emaciated. Yeah, but not. I mean, but yeah, I mean, but there's, I mean, Alo drew her like you know, maybe not malnourished, but yes, she could put some weight on, but he still drew her as a very um, attractive and easy on the eyes. So I was waiting for the Sally Struthers vocal overlay, but that's <laughs> that's besides the point. 
<laughs> great Lobo one page um, at the end. But issue four is really, I think it's very cool because now that we've broken bread with this guy and have ridden in a cab with this man yeah. and see what he can do as an inker, I think Christian Alame held his own beautifully. Oh, yeah. I mean, because there's so much of it that he he still, he followed what, what Bisley had done in the previous three issues. It's a little cleaner, but it's still, like you could tell... It's as if it's as if Bisley had had an anchor really, or just kind of reined it in a bit. But it's still, it's th- th- there. He's not as um, frenzy or, or, or kinetic on the page as Bisley. He, the, the the bones are there, but he's just he. It's a little more polished. I think it's a far more elegant approach. That's yeah, yeah. Elegant's yeah. a great word. Yeah, but it's. I mean, it's very very easy on the eyes. I oh, I, I really like Christian. 100%. Christian Alame's uh, Lobo. Lobo's just uh, tearing through heaven. And he can do that because people don't die in heaven, even though he's ripping their heads off and uh, wearing their their faces as, as gloves. Um, but uh, then he runs, as Jason said, he runs into Nick Torquemada and the Holland Inquisitors um, <laughs> with the Gospel Happy Joseph Confession Company. <laughs> but he throws down with all the, the entire pantheon of gods. Odin's in there. Uh, there's some Egyptian god in there. The Judeo-Christian god, the Old Testament god is in there. And he just rips through them. Um, and they send him back. They said, all right, get rid of this guy. So he goes back to the exact moment when Lou and Brother Feces took him out. And he finishes the job. And walks away in two. Head between his legs, literally, um, walking on his hands. And that ends the story. I mean, you know, it, it's it's not war and peace. He takes he he takes Murray's gun, blows Murray's face off, and now Murray's face is on Lobo's hand and yeah. the gun is it, it's it's a great it's, it's such a fantastic image but it's just one of those things did you see that oh what Murray's face hanging off his own gun big deal and like you said they, they, no, they're immortal they can't die I mean they can be in pain and just look all sorts of hellish but yeah but yeah Frank, no, Frank did something like that in Hard Boiled didn't he didn't well that he oh the Jeff Dar- Jeff Darrow Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. It's a it's a it's a fun little four issue series. I mean, there's really nothing deep about it. It's just all a lot of sight gags and and conceptual jokes and and bloodshed basically. But um, and it does you know take a couple of shots at uh, the afterlife uh, according to you know very very particular beliefs. If you're uh, um, a very devout believer, there may be something in this series that would uh, run afoul of your sensibilities, let's just say. But uh, if you're a heedless bastard like myself, or a heathen bastard, sorry, I mean, it's all fun. You're not going to be seeing Derek Dude anytime soon? That's his name. (laughs) Derek Dude. Uh, He's he's disturbing at the end there. Yeah, at the very end of his little letter. 
So our second special is Lobo Blazing Chain of Love, as, as, as Vince mentioned before, with a Dan Brereton cover. This was, I thought this was a prestige format style book, but I don't think it is based on the, um, uh, the page count. I think it's just the, the the cover. It looks to me as though, especially with the where the logo is, for whatever reason. I, but I, I tend to think of Brereton as as doing more of the Elseworlds prestige format book. So maybe that's just why my brain is going there. Yeah, mm. I have it. I mean, I can confirm or I, I, don't, I wish I still had. I don't things. remember. I don't remember okay. to tell you the truth. I um, doubt it was. Yeah, but. Um, not my favorite you can you can go into it if you'd like but i i think the the less you you touched on it instead of um our our credits page uh the creators of this issue are uh kate giffen on plot and breakdowns alice grant is your script denise cohen on art noel giddings on colors tanya klein letters and bad danette raspler uh is your editor, but um, as Vince said, it's um, his job. Ramona's got him doing a job to to find out find find a tracer who 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 um, find somebody who skipped out on bail and um, finds the uh, whole lot of buildings all that that are all shaped like penises. But yeah. he's. Uh, He's 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 looking for um he's looking for someone and and and, and I mean the the sight gags here are so instead of you seeing Lobo having sex you'll just see rockets going off or plungers and people uh, eating, eating subway yeah. hoagies and and subs but yeah and oil gushing out but uh, so so that's what you get instead of actual um, um, the sex but. Uh, that is the definition for uh, misogynist at the end of the um, yeah. at the end of the issue before we meet the um, the uh, the sultan, if you want to call him that, who um, who's like, listen, I mean, because he's he's impotent and and uh, he ain't um, being impotent. He's not getting um, the job done. So so the women are all all very hungry and um, or yes. thirsty. And uh, they, um, it's got to be hell, right? To have all these beautiful women around you and be impotent. That, huh. yes, that's got to well, be hell. Whatever happened to Spanish Fly? What do you mean? Well, I mean, this reminds like there's Spanish Fly in the last page, and it's like back in the day, you saw ads for Spanish Fly everywhere, yeah, but not- I feel like you don't see the ads anymore. Well, because nobody reads periodicals, but uh, if, if depending on what gas station you go to, uh, I, there's there are current substitutes for Spanish Fly available, you know, in little packets. Okay, I, I see and them. I, I don't I don't buy I them. them. Yeah, like, I see them, but they're there. I mean, they call it like you know, Nightmaker or something. I don't know what they call them, but they they exist. You know exactly what they call them. You just pretend like you know. Oh yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah. he's bringing them next Wednesday. So and the last page is Truck Stop um, Lover. <laughs> yeah, it's a PSA. Uh, where Lobo reminds you that only dicks don't use condoms. That's and, true. Uh, Thank you, Lobo. Was, yes. Yeah. So, um, what uh, did Jimmy have, folks? 
the winner for me is the panel where Lobo has had so much sex, copious amounts of of the nookie that he can't walk, so he has to use a walker. walker. <laughs> that that was that was cute. But then on the 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 best panel is flanked by the absolute worst panel where Lobo is has a massive gun and he's firing at all of the the wives but he's shooting tranquilizer darts. Yes, that dart, yeah. That's like not trying to kill him. Okay. That's good. Cuz that's what I think of when I think of Lobo tranquilizer darts. <laughs> and, kill the lady. He doesn't want to kill his baby mamas. That's true too. Wouldn't it be now? There's a spinoff from from Blazing Chain of Love where they should go there into. Go. See, there's Crush. That there. now we know where Crush is from. There you go. Well, I mean, if he had sex with all these women, chances are, yeah. even if ten percent of them got pregnant, you're talking a hundred kids. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a cool little spinoff there. It's like Cosmic Jimmy's Bastards. Yep. But since he demanded us to wear condoms, I'm guessing he did as well. So well, he would need would be a no truckload kids. of condoms. Although you know, doesn't doesn't work hundred percent of the time. Um, extra that, large Maxo condoms. Well, is that in character to have Lobo tell you to use a condom? I don't know. Well, if he if he if he wants I, to be the only Zarnian, then yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is true. You're right. Okay, so let's give David a little present and let him go into the Lobo convention special. Do it. Yeah, I mean, it's Kevin O'Neill. You sure you don't want to? Um... No, I'm good. I'm good. The, okay. And I, the the first page, I didn't notice it. Initial read, back in the day, this time it got me. And if I had any kind of liquid in my mouth, I would have spit it out. Where the dude is looking at Ramona with the magnifying glass, and he's looking <laughs> at her nipple, because and that's only funny if you go back to the the Lobo's back and. The the uh, blazing chain of love, for some reason, they draw Ramona with a tiny little bit of areola peeking through, her peeking up past her dress, and this is like he's he's looking at the same thing that I looked at, a couple of I don't know years or months ago, before this came out, and that just it just made me laugh, lol. It's funny as hell. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So do it. Uh, so the Lobo convention special is, of course, brought to you by um, Keith Giffen and Alan Grant. And this time, okay, wait. Oh, of course, because that's the best part about your um, when you're when you're reading things from an app is when that crashes. Um, so the Lobo Convention Special is uh, illustrated by Kevin O'Neill. What um, the cover is, uh, it, it, this is from 1993, is a very, very Kevin O'Neill Lobo. Um, all 90s and imaged and extremed out with uh, with with his pouches and his knee pads and, and the guns in the metal. Um, but he's flanked by old timey comics like main man, which is the parody of, um, of Batman number one Lobo comics, which is Marvel comics, action frags, Captain Bastich. <laughs> <punching out> Hitler. 
<laughs> no, we really need a Captain Bastich. We do. <laughs> and and my favorite is probably the Thrash because it's it's the cover of um of the Flash number one twenty three and you have the kid screaming Thrash help! But the two Flashes would be, of course, uh, or in this case, the two Thrashes. Which one side would be? <laughs> are Barry Allen from Earth 1 and Earth 2's Jay Garrick. But you see them running towards it, and he says, I'm fragging, I'm fragging. I, just, I read that, and I just, I, I lost that shit. But it's like, yeah. um, featuring Thrash of Two Worlds, a classic. And um, and there's an arrow coming towards the kid, and, and one of the Thrash is holding a, a, an axe. All these missiles are, are, are coming down. Um, fantastic cover. Yeah. Covers with covers. But, but yeah, it, it so, is a pastiche of many DC covers that have, and Marvel. Come before. Yeah, but DC in particular used to do this flanking of the, the, oh, the yes, star yes, with yes, covers. That's like right. yes. Batman, Superman, especially Superman. They, there was a ton of covers in, in this uh, created like this. I don't know the exact numbers, but they're, they're, they're there. Go they're look plentiful. for them. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we start the episode off at uh, Ramona's Joint, which is the Bail Bond Unisex Salon. Um, Title of the issue is Lobocon, a fanboy's lament. Um, and Lobo is cracking up because he uh, he's reading one of the funniest comic books he's, he's ever read. Uh, it is it is The Death of Superman, Superman number 75, where um, yep. where it's it's uh, nothing but uh, splash pages with Doomsday killing Kal-El and um and and then Ramona Ramona's reading it and she's like, Oh my gosh, the, the the last page folds out and he's like and, and Lobo misses it, so he he um he goes and gets the uh before he can grab the book, she's like, Goodness, she dropped him, which of course yes, Lois did. But um while all this is going on, while 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 Ramona's telling Lobo to quiet down, you know, she's running a business, uh she's she's dealing with a customer and when uh the the person with the magnifying glass checking out uh, Ramona's <laughs> boob, um, Ramona accidentally cuts the client's head, and she's like, "That's all right. It'll, the blood will soon dry." But her face, her lips are all peeled back. You see more than gums. Then the next page, um, when uh, when when Lobo grabs the comic book back, the the cust- the client is now in the acid rinse stage of uh of of her of her salon spot treatment and, and like her face is pretty much melted off um it'll heal so so you have uh so lobo reads it and and um and then he really starts cracking up because before i guess he just thought that uh that superman was um was was just getting the the crap beat out of him and, and, and lobo does say that this is the funniest comic book He's read. It's the funniest I've seen since that guy turned elastic in the cosmic storm. So and that's just the first of many little pokes and prods and ribs yeah. that uh, that that this book does to other comic characters, other comic creators, and um, and other publishers. So uh, Lobo is really happy to see that um, Superman gets killed in his comic book while he sits back on that client. Um, who gets her whole scalp ripped off with the danger root treatment that's set for bake. Um, Lobo slaps his own knee with the comic book, basically destroying it. Now it's all ruined. Um, it was his only copy. She's like, listen, you know, the news said they, there are a ton of these issues out there. Just go and get another one. And 
Levels like the main man never pays more than cover price for comics. <laughs> and he, uh, he obviously doesn't know about DCBService.com. <laughs> or real, he pays cover price. Word. Dummies. Uh, uh, <laughs> so he uh, he's like, listen, you know what? I'm just, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Earth <laughs> and get, get a... Uh, Get a copy as he flies away <laughs> and knocking Silver Surfer off his surfboard. Um, gets to Earth. Earth um, demands the uh, demands the comic, and he um, Lobo don't want no 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 cheap reprint. Where he's he's got a crocodile Dundee pun, uh, cutting a stack of Hex Men comics. Um, there's just a whole bunch of sight gags, and it—I mean, it, it's Mad Magazine worthy. It's dense. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's just a sight gag after sight gag in this. In this, it's great. Um, his uh, sound effects are Fraga, and um, which I just thought of Dan Fraga for that. Um, I love the "Please do not breathe on the gods of comics." <laughs> so we, once we, once Lobo decides to finally get to um, San Diego. Heading to the San Diego Comic Con, and that's um, where where he he uh, he waiting online with everybody else. He um, shows up at registration, which the attendant feels that uh, you know you you must be one of the Brits, and gives him Simon Bisley's name tag. <laughs> uh, gets him his press pass, and awesome. it wasn't mailed to Lobo either. And then they um, they they. Uh, he makes his way through, and as he's walking through the con, you see the image booth. It's like it's Rob. I got a kidney. I got to bring in the truck. I got a foot, which I wasn't sure if that was a real joke or not. But uh, some, I got his writing foot. I got his drawing hand. There's um, there's <laughs> cosplayers. There's Popeye. There, there's there's uh, Betty Boop there's turtles. There's Betty Boop. Um, but he, and she used to be one of the cats of Jammer kids. There's a cosplayer. And the father's like, hey, kids, let's get our picture taken with a naked lady. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Len Mars looking for you. Hey, Marv Len's looking for you. By the way, I uh, want that Tex Avery hat. <laughs> can't have it. <laughs> That's a great awesome. That is fantastic. Um, but usually when you see other companies' characters. Stein, certified comic dealer. Within a DC comic, the the costumes are slightly changed, so you you know who it is, but it's not exactly like the competitors. Mm-hmm. That Spider Man is pretty much Spider Man. Spider Man, yeah, yeah. Same thing with uh, with the turtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think uh, Eastman and Laird would have been more lenient than uh, Marvel in this respect. Oh right, yeah. yeah. Parody, you get a pretty wide license, though, right? It's true. Well, I mean, they were yeah. also. I mean, I don't think Marvel was was ready to go to, to court with too many people since they they were suffering from bankruptcy. Oh yeah, they were down the dumps oh, at fashion. this time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> get get the shots in where you can. <laughs> that shit's factual. That's factual, bitches. <laughs> Dropping factuals. The uh, there's Alan Moore doing postmodern penance locks and yes. uh, my man <laughs> pro beards. Um, the Dude, uh, everything about this. It, the little nerds with those shirts saying "Waste not one, Waste yes. Not one yes." Holy shit, dude! If I see someone wearing that shirt in New York Comic Con, I'm falling out. I'm dead. Just, I'm dead. Just make sure like my that. just make sure I'm my body gets back to bed for my burial. That's a great shirt. Uh, Marvel over there with uh, printing out the tons of X Men clones. Um, then the uh, we. Change gears a little bit because now Lobo, being a pro, 
has to um, has to participate in the con ritual, and um, he goes on a panel. Um, he does a portfolio review, which <laughs> is rough. Uh, there's a um, giving people an anatomy lesson and going full Wolverine in one image. Uh, goes to the awards banquet and uh, gives you some insight on how to find uh, hard to find back issues. And and there's someone who's buying Detective Comics number one from 1937 for uh, $30,000 and um, got the whole gloves and, and making sure he doesn't breathe on it. And, and, uh, and then Lobo spits on it. And, and um, then there's cosplay, or in this case, the costume <laughs> parade, where this was hilarious because my man says last year, Arthur picked up second place with his version of Todd McFarlane's wallet, and now he's back as Lobo. My man is huge. Oh, he's a fat pig. Yeah. <laughs> I lost it. Um, he does the Lobo rap. <laughs> complete with an armpit frat. And, uh, and, and then, and then, uh, it's like we're 12. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, you see Sheila as Galactus is under. By the way, he's when he's at the end of the scene, he's upside down on his ass on the back of his jeans as it says, too fat to frag. <laughs> and his pants are ripped. So someone needs to wear those pants with waist not want, yes. And uh, I should get a shirt made up. I could, I could do it in like probably 10 minutes. Wait, wait. Yes. Not. Yep. And if you know, because we'll see people who look like that, and they'll need that shirt, so we should just give it to them. Uh, or we can wear the, it. Well, we could, but yeah. okay. Um, then the Navy shows up. Since figuring the con is under attack, they uh, they then decide to attack the convention. Superman's cape. Is flying through just like it is on in Superman seventy five. Uh, Spider Man's mask is there, um, and and Lobo Lobo finds the one single issue, the Platinum Edition. He is so excited, so happy to have it in his hands that he uh, it, it rips it to shreds in his excitement um, and uh, leaves the planet in a huff. Yep. Couple, couple like like pure Mad Magazine. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Really great. We see Superman's tattered cape in one panel, which uh, uh, goes back to the cover of Superman seventy five. You know, so it, it, there's a, a ton of sight gags in this thing. There's a little caricature of Lobo that would not have been uh, out of place on the cover of Kiss's Rock and Roll Over. I mean, there's just stuff all over the place in this issue. It's true. It's a treat. I'm I'm glad they they ended 2009 version of Vince. Quoted here, the Mylar's melting. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I still use Mylar. You do? Yeah, I can't bring myself to put my books in regular polypropylene. Ah. Yeah. I do double bag, so it doesn't cost as much, but I (laughs) I still... Well, double bag meaning I I put two comics in one bag with a board in between them so they don't touch. Sure. And uh, no, I just... uh, I can't shake Mylar. If you care about your comics, you got to use Mylar. Oh, totally. I mean, it's not like I haven't had comics in regular plastic for 30 years and they're pristine, but that's cool. We're talking 30 years. I'm looking beyond that, my friend. You're going to be dead in another, what, Exactly, years? Dude, 
I mean, <laughs> you know, if that ever happens, you're going to feel like the sorriest son of a bitch ever. It's not true because you know me. I'm nihilistic. I don't really believe in any of that stuff. I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't believe I can jinx you into death. That's okay. I'll be watching over you in your bedroom. You'd be like, is that a shadow? <laughs> Watch me get my freak on. Mm-hmm. That's it. Turn her over. Well, not hey, you. I won't be watching you very much. Hey, it's all good. I don't blame yeah. you. And then at the end, you get the who's who page for, uh, well, it's an updated. Yeah, it's the loose leaf edition of and who's who. Because he wasn't around when the original, well, he wasn't. But that's what I'm talking about. See, in Powers yeah. and Weapons, second paragraph, Lobo never carries a weapon. Weapons take the fun out of killing. Dude, he uses weapons up all throughout this fucking book. Well, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a time capsule page. They, they didn't update. Right, it's just funny to me. So there must have been a period when this was made that he wasn't using weapons anymore. I'd have to go back and and look at the uh, Omega Men issues. I'm pretty sure he used weapons in those issues. That's what I'm saying. Nice. Well, see, he never but it does carries say, a weapon. It doesn't say he won't use it. It does say Group Affiliation mm-hmm. Legion. Yeah. So this had to be at least 89, right? Mm-hmm. So there you go. Ah, great issue. Wonderful. A lot of fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Total amount of fun. I'm glad. I'm I glad. A, I got a new respect for, for Lobo. My question is, uh, how often, if ever, has Lobo been this Lobo since? Well, he's still this Lobo, but he's more powerful. More powerful and a lot more saccharine, right? Like, because it's not, he's not. Yeah, I mean, even even in the, when, when he showed up to, to beat up the Titans last month, it was, he, the, the essence was there. Like, you still see it was the character that we just read in this book, but it's, I guess, I guess Tamer. Is I, I don't know if that's a reflection of the times, uh, mm-hmm. just because we might be numb to everything else going on, or if it just been an actual um, sh- slight change in in how he's presented or or what he can get away with. He is powerful, but it's just it's um, you know he still he still thinks uh, his shit don't stink and he's the best in the room that can get things done, and and it, for the most part he's he's right, but. Um, I think it's it's weird. I guess if if you don't have given in Grant pulling his strings, it's just it's it doesn't the jeans aren't as comfy, right? Yeah, I think DC's missing the boat with this black label imprint. I think Lobo would be perfect for it to get well, Lobo. You know they're not working on Lobo. Well, I don't know, but to date there has been no black label, sure. you know, Lobo, and I think there's a character that they can push the boundaries within this imprint that is designed, you know, more upscale imprint, not for the kiddies, so to speak. Uh, the issues are more expensive. So, well, the kids aren't buying comics anyway, but you know what I mean? It's an imprint that I think in concept would serve Lobo very well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Sweet. Uh, speaking of black label, we have our buddy Daniel Warren Johnson taking on Wonder Woman. Soon. Uh, I know. That's going to be amazing. Super cool. Yep. So, uh, and it's in this previews. So, people, if you're perusing your previews and you get to the DC section, make sure you peep this Daniel Warren Johnson Wonder Woman and circle it because you're going to want to. Just got my box today. That's nice. With it in there. Sweet. Yeah. So, there you go. Another book of the month down. Uh, Once again, we have to tip our collective caps to the patrons for voting for this 
And if you would like to see what goes on at the Patreon uh, site, go to patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics and uh, revel in the joy that is there for you. In your travels, I had another bit of uh, conceptual continuity, let's say. Okay. In the thing that I... I read this before reading Lobo because it was in my box and it's oversized and it's beautiful and it's a hardcover and it's produced by a uh, a man whose work I love very much. It uh, We mentioned him maybe last episode or the one before. Uh, Philippe Droulet. I love Droulet stuff. Mm-hmm. It is called The Night and it is part of the Titan Comics Droulet um, library. But sitting right here, what it's about? Um, well, the the impetus for this story is uh, steeped in sadness because Drier's wife died of cancer in 1975, and so he was crestfallen. He was despondent. He was uh, his his soulmate left this earthly plane, so he used that as a way he used this as a way to work through those um those demons uh the pain the sadness and it's this is another visceral tale that i think works better as form than as narrative it's it's very a simple tale uh it's about a, a drug addicted biker gang called the lions and um, there are three prominent members of the Lions, Heinz, Frankie, and Leon. Uh, Heinz is pretty much the head honcho. But um, in this world, these bikers are, are constantly berated by the cops. And it's K-O-P-H-S, cops. No, K-O-P-F-S, cops. So the, the cops are running roughshod over these bikers, and, and they have taken something called the Blue Depot. Um, the Blue Depot is life. It provides skag or something for the this biker gang. Skag is a drug to which they're all addicted. And um, as in, you know, our world, these various biker gangs are, there's a lot of infighting between the gangs, but they decide to, to join forces after a while and take out the cops and get back the, the, the Blue Depot. So it's, this this story is is a pedal to the metal race to take back the blue depot various biker the, the biker gangs fight at first and then they decide to join forces um at one point the 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 story just stops and all the bikers start singing brown sugar by the rolling stones <laughs> like almost a whole song they sing brown sugar um and it's it's just this freewheeling race to to secure this blue depot but where this book really works is in of course the visuals druyer is a master of page layout um you get a vertical double page it's a massive massive page intricately excruciatingly detailed uh all the weaponry and the regalia of the bikers and their their body markings and and weapons it's 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 stupid. It, the visuals are impeccable. The story's kind of slight. It's just bikers, you know, 
on this this suicide mission, and it doesn't end well. So you could you could tell from the the tone of this story where Drie's mind was at this time. He he was just pouring out all these visuals in order to just not think about his reason for being no longer being around him. Uh, and at one point, Drie's wife actually appears in the story, uh, nude. Um, she she comes as a vision to the bikers, and it's just it's 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 a book that's very sad. It, it's not a feel good um, mm-hmm. uh, endeavor at all. But if if you are a fan of art, and who listening to this show is not, you got to get this book. It is the the. Uh, Visuals are just sumptuous. They're, it's a masterpiece. So intricately detailed, I can't even tell you um, just how much work was put into these pages. It looks like uh, there's there's so many lines. It's disturbing just how intricate and, and dense this these visuals are. But it's it's a phenomenal tale, and it's it's sad. It's disturbing. It's it's violent. And it's it's very much in t- the same tone as Lobo, albeit um, a little bit more uh, tinged with uh, heartbreak. So if you are uh, looking for something that's uh, a little bit different, a little bit uh, risky, so to speak, I would check out The Night by uh, Drouillet from Titan Comics. It's just beautiful. Sitting right here, my dude. Yeah, you're going to love it. Do you have all of them in the, t- the Drouillet library? No. Uh, no, I don't. I do. You should, get, you should get on that. So special. So there you go. What do you got? What do you got? Uh, in your travels, um, actually, I'll, there's some things I'll save for next time. I'll go with this because I read it. It's my first issue that I've read. read it last night when I got home. Uh, it continues. It's the second prelude to the Hellmouth crossover event. Uh, it is Angel Number 5, written by Brian Edward Hill, illustrated by Gleb Melnikov, and uh, colored by Roman Titov. It's mostly, I know, judging by the list on um, on Jason's list, I know he's not up to this issue yet, but it, it's a, um, it's looks like uh, an introduction of a character who we know from Angel. Um, it may be his first time in this series. I don't know. I'm not trying to give away anything so that Jason can read it. But um, it, if if I had a complaint about the issues, that it kind of felt like it went by pretty quick. And and and, and I get it. It is a prelude, but it it just it sets up um, what Angel did. Or what he, why he is in Sunnydale, um, at the same time that that Buffy's Halloween dances is happening at the school, and um, that he's not in in L.A. Um, while Hellmouth is going on, and, and it kind of just um, sets that up and and i guess we'll see more of, of this character but uh the art actually the art reminds me a little bit of um of the Ampanosian. and uh it's um a lot of big panels though 
and and not a lot of panels on a page. So it, it's um, it's it moves the action along pretty well. I do like the art, um, but I guess because it went by pretty quick, it didn't. Um, like I'm used to Hill writing like American Carnage and and a lot more meat in between the covers and and it just felt like there wasn't as much here that what I'm used to but again it's just it it it's just to set up the uh the upcoming event um and great that it's in the ongoing of of the angel series so um you may feel some kind of way about that but you know I'm still psyched for hellmouth it's the first angel comic I've read like Jordy did last time on Buffy, everybody sounds like who they're supposed to sound like. I, I, um, I, I hear Fred when uh, in, in when when she shows up. So it's it's um, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to to this Hellmouth event mostly. But uh, yeah, in in your travels, as as Jason talked about the Buffyverse books from Boom, uh, check out Angel. Word up. Um, in your travels, I spoke on the, I believe it was the first DC Inc. graphic novel some time ago about a young Catwoman. And I wasn't a super big fan of it. Um, but uh, the second uh, foray into this subgenre was a big hit for me. And that is um, Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, yep. a graphic novel, DC Inc. It's a. Uh, written by uh, Mariko Tamaki, who I am a big fan of, particularly this one summer, which she did with her cousin, um, Jillian, a few years ago. But, uh, yeah, so I'm a, I, I, f- I figured for sure I knew we were in good hands for, as in terms of who was the writer. And the art is by Steve Pugh. So, nice. Yeah. Um, for those that aren't aware, the DC Inc. is a... Uh, imprint that is focused for teen teens uh this is a graphic novel more of a digest size it's slightly smaller form factor than a typical comic page and it's uh, a reimagining of the harley quinn story um where she's a 15 year old girl that just moves to gotham uh so your models may vary i mean it depends on how beholden you are to uh you know the the uh the the traditional version of harley but um but but I I was totally open to a different interpretation, at least in the context of a standalone graphic novel. And I think this this was a very interesting take. I loved it a lot. It was it was essentially Harley uh, moves to Gotham City, um, is going to live with her grandma, but her grandma passed away, uh, so she's taken in by a drag queen uh, in a in a tenement and befriends them, which is really not dissimilar to. Um, what happened in the Palmiati Amanda series where Harley gets this crazy band of misfits that lives in the building that she buys. Uh, it's similar to that. Um, and she's going to high school and she befriends Ivy, who is a incredibly intelligent, woke, feminist, uh, vegan, uh, beautiful young black girl uh, in this book uh, that they become fast friends but we also see interstitials and flashbacks to an even younger Harley, who is a problem child, to say the least, uh, especially with a penchant for uh, arson and blowing things up. And gentrification is trying to drive uh, 
her her newfound adopted family um, and building mates out of their building. And so she starts taking matters into her own hands. Uh, and uh, it's great. It's really great. The Joker is in it, or at least a version of the Joker. Um, uh, and uh, I thought it was particularly well done. And if I'm not mistaken, it's this book is particularly aimed for uh, tween and teen young women. Like it's a young, it's an all ages young, it's a YA book. Uh, and I think it's uh, this is an area that I think is is smart for DC to focus on. I wish Marvel was trying to focus on this market too because uh, it is an area where we're still seeing growth in the industry among readers. Uh, and I thought it was really well executed. I mean, Pew's art is just incredible. There, there, and there are scenes, there are parts of the book where it's very monochromatic. There are parts of the book where it's vibrantly colored. There are parts of the book where it's monochromatic, but save for Harley's outfit. I, it just, um, I, I just think the color play here is masterfully done. Um, and, you know, Pew could even be called realistic, I would say, by some, but but it never loses its artistry. It never feels Photoshopped or photo-referenced. It's, it's just beautiful stuff. Um, so very much a, a, a big thumbs up for me on this. And I will say, uh, ironic, because this came out a few weeks ago. It's been in my to-read pile, but I read this this week because – uh, I also read Harleen number one by Stepan Sayich, who, when we last saw Stefan, he was doing Aquaman. And I know we were all big fans of him on that book. I thought it was fantastic, especially the visuals. Uh, in Harleen, which is a black label book, uh, it's a three issue miniseries. Stepan is writing and drawing it. And I thought it was a total whiff. Total whiff. I think oh. Stepan's art is way too clean and smooth for that kind of book and i i don't know that he's got his writing chops on i thought it was a relatively boring my least favorite version of harley is the serious version of harley the 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 one that's like the mentally ill slave to joker um but not with any funny right and my favorite version of course is the palmiati connor so what we get in harleen is very much the serious Harley, like how she got to where she is today. And I'm just not into that. That's just not my scene. So if you want to read a different version of Harley than what you're seeing in the uh, DC proper, then give this Tamaki book a try, not the, not the stage book. Yeah. Breaking glass is one of my favorite depictions of, of Harley. Oh, I didn't know you read it. Yeah. But well, because of Steve, I love Steve Pugh. And, oh, and I, th- I didn't, yeah, I nice. think his, the art's spectacular in it. It's really crazy, right? Yeah. Um, but he's a master. I lo- I just I adore his work. Uh, yeah. And but it it even though it was a, a YA book, it didn't matter. It wasn't written down to a no, certain no. age group. It, I th- well, I think that's what makes it. Uh, I mean, I think YA. What makes YA so successful is that uh, exactly what you just said. It's 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 written. It's not written down. It's not. Tr- it, it, it's not treating kids like kids. Right. It's 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 an aesthetic and a style and a and a motif and a. Um, and circumstances that are more relatable to, to, to kids, but it's by no means written in a way that's a, that, that makes it feel like a children's book or a storybook. So. Right. Yeah. It's just a damn good yeah. story with some pretty breathtaking art. Yeah. And I just I want to say a quick shout out to uh, Jeff Smith because uh, my youngest, who is uh, 10, is devouring Bone right now on his own. He has read about 70% of the entire Bone series in the last three days. That's great. Yeah, I'm pretty psyched. Good on him. mm -hmm. It's amazing the legs that that book has. 
It's a one. It's such a wonderful book. Yep. I had just gotten, I don't know, a couple months ago, they had just put out a uh, single volume in color for the first time. Because, you know, the, I think probably the most popular version is that one complete paperback. I have, yeah. yeah, I have that one too, black and white. And then he was putting out the colored volumes individually for years. And this is the this is basically that that single volume, but colored. So I got I got that too. It's got a nice slipcase, and he's been reading that every night. It's warms my heart. I know it's near the end of the episode, but um, while we've seen other works from Jeff, do you think Bone has become that giant albatross around his neck? Like he, he's never gonna do anything. Well, I mean, yes, he could do something that eclipses bone in in uh magnitude but i think readers are reluctant to admit it like i loved razzle but right. razzle was far different than bone do you think right. the bone is both a curse and a blessing to to jeff i i yes. could i couldn't begin to to I, I i don't even think i've ever read an interview with jeff smith in terms of but I, I would think he thinks of it as a, as, as a blessing, not a curse. Oh, sure. I mean, he's still making money on it, right? This yeah. thing that he did years and years ago is still generating income for him. But pound for pound, like I thought Razzle as, appealed to my sensibilities more than Bone did. I, I mean, I'm not going to discount sure. Bone and sure. what it does and what it is. But for my money, Razzle was far more interesting than Bone. Right, and I'm just, and I'm, I'm guessing that I'm in the vast minority of Jeff Smith fans, where oh, well, you know, sure. Bone is like Bone the, is, the Bone is an all-time classic, but and it's answer. transcended comics. It's it's something that people who don't read comics read. So yeah. that that's got to be a huge weight. But I'm sure maybe he doesn't care because he's still cashing the checks. Right. You well, know? and he's still creating. I mean, like you said, he made Razzle. I'm sure he has other ideas. He's still a young guy. Yeah. Um, I mean. When I, it's hard for me to think of this conversation, not also think of Terry Moore, and I think he probably is much more uh, obviously bothered by the blessing and the curse of Strangers in Paradise because he had to basically go back to it. Right, right. I was going to bring right. that up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if Jeff does a another volume of Bone, then I'd say, oh, okay, well, he needs to he needs to cash that check, right? Yeah. Well, kudos on him for not going back to the well. Right. All right, everybody. Did you? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Have either of you? I think you wouldn't, Vince, because you don't have the channel. But Dap, have you watched the Swamp Thing show on the DC app yet? No. I watched the first episode the other day, and uh, um, it wasn't wasn't really for me. I don't think, but but I'm not sure. I'm a. I don't know. It it was fine, I guess, but it yeah, I don't know. I, I. Put it this way, in, in, a, in a world where we all have enough content to watch things for the next 50 years without ever seeing something again, it's, it's, I'm putting it to the side. I'm not, I'm not going to, like, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't like it enough that I'm like, oh, I'm going to just watch this now, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, the bar is set pretty low uh, as far as, you know, cinematic de- depictions of Swamp Thing. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's better than the, the old movie, but, yeah, I mean. Well, I don't know if better's the, the word. Um, the, I I I think the 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 movies are what they are, and they're 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 fun as they are, but they're not great cinema, which never is a factor in my decision to watch anything. 
but you know like um I, like marvel with man thing have you seen the man thing movie i don't think i have no it's it's absolute trash right. and that that's not a compliment um I'll, you love trash movies. i'll watch anything that that marvel man thing movie is just garbage right um but it's tough. Like, how do you? That Swamp Thing movie was on cable all the time, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it, but it's. I watched it a million times. It's it's just silly fun. But if 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 you went into that movie expecting something along the lines of what Alan Moore and company did, you'd be sorely disappointed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think someone should tackle that someday because that is such fertile ground. All of the groundwork has been done. Right. Adapt that shit by someone capable of bringing it to life, right? Sure. And piss Alan Moore off. <laughs> well, he's, he's going to be pissed off anyway about something. I was going to say, so. he's about to be real pissed off at this Watchmen show that's about to hit the airwaves. Yeah. Hey, I got an idea. Can we go to the movies during the con? No. Why? <laughs> dude, well, Joker... time to go to the movies, dude? Joker comes out the 4th. How are we going to have time to go to the movies? Oh, well, Saturday... Oh, we can maybe do it Saturday. To see yeah. Joker in oh, Manhattan? What? Yeah, we Oh, yeah, we even need to get our eat and drink on. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be great. Oh, all right then. All right, let me let me edit my pre-response. Hell yeah, we can go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gents, that's uh, another one in the can. If you would like to experience more of this kind of stuff that doesn't fill your ears but fills your eyes, come to Instagram and Reddit and Twitter and Facebook because we're there and there's lots of people with us and it's just a fun time. We'd love to have you. In the meantime, say good night. No accompaniment whatsoever. This is the acapella. Say good night. Ah, the boys, the men, good night. Yeah. David. Oh, I'm bended. Night. It's the end of the road. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a long silly. It's a long one, wasn't it? Yeah. Sorry. David. Woot! Oh, wow. it's, it's, it's longer than it's longer when there isn't an accompaniment. Right, because it's dead mm-hmm. dead uncomfortable silence. Dead air, dead air, dead air, yeah. Yeah. There you have it. We'll be back early next week because, as you all know, it's NYCC, New York Comic Con, and we do the thing where we get to Jason's crib on Wednesday and we will throw down for you. Live, bitches. And the patrons, uh, the patrons, the patrons are going to experience a ton of content this time around because I'm going to crack the whip and get these two slackers doing (laughs) stuff. Mad, crazy content overload, y'all. All the time, 24-7. Taking pictures of David as he's sleeping, you know. <laughs> Patrons <laughs> will see it in the bathroom with the Ooh, talcum. You gotta put the talcum on. <laughs> Love me some talcum. You know. uh, I almost quoted Ted Nugent. God help me. God what help is us all. wrong with you? Sorry. Wash that out of my brain. We'll be back. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.